Thank you so much, Brother Henderson. Thank you. Thank you so much. Matthew chapter 12 is my text of choice today. Matthew chapter number 12. I was looking at my records this morning, and uh, this makes my 13th time to be here in the 21st century. <laughs> now, <coughs> that, uh, that says a lot. It says we're getting deeper and deeper into what we thought would never come. Amen? But anyway, I'm delighted to be here, and I, I, I'm so uh, sorry that Brother Bloom is uh, on the disabled list this morning, and uh, I'm sure he'll uh, get uh, back on his feet here again in a day or two, but uh, I appreciate Brother Bloom. He and I have gotten to be very close friends over the years, and we love him and his family and thank God for them, and, and I'm I'm very grateful, and you are as well, I, I hear you say it, that uh, you have a pastor who stands and stands straight and true and right, does it with a good heart and spirit, and uh, that means a lot. It really, really means a lot. Uh, Dr. Robertson made famous the statement, everything rises or falls on leadership. Now, no leader gets anywhere if he doesn't have followers, but at the same time, followers don't get anywhere if they don't have a leader. And that leadership thing is big, and I'm grateful for Brother Bloom. <coughs> I was going to say as well, I don't know whether you know Brother Caudle well or not, but you have a treat with him coming. He, he's a tremendous preacher, and uh, as disgusting as it is, he is a multi-talented guy. He not only preaches well, but he sings well, and he plays the piano. I mean, uh, I, mean I don't know. I mean, he may, uh, he may, I don't know what else he does. But, uh, but he'll do some of all of that, and you'll be blessed by the ministry that he has when he's here for that conference in a couple of weeks. <coughs> now, I uh, am watching the clock, and we will get to this and, and be on time, whatever that is. Chapter 12, <laughs> Matthew chapter 12, and I begin reading at the very top of the chapter. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn. And his disciples were hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. Now let me pause in the reading there for just a minute because some of you are looking at that and you're saying that is a very weird thing to have in the Bible. It's not weird at all. Now, if you grew up in the city, you may think it's weird. But if you grew up in the country, you know that you can go out into the cornfield and pick corn, shuck it, silk it, and eat it on the spot. We do tomatoes that way, radishes, etc. But a lot of people have no idea that you can literally eat corn raw. But you can. You don't have to boil it or do anything. You can eat it that way. You say, how do you know that? I've done a lot of laboratory work <clears throat> as a boy. I was a boy about 900 years ago. <clears throat> I haven't done that in a long time, but I remember doing it. And so I just want you to know normal stuff. Verse 2. But when the Pharisees saw it, and let me pause again, there's always Pharisees hanging around, ready to dig in, you know, and here they are. They said to, to Jesus, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. But he said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he was in hunger, and they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God? And did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priest. 
Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Now drop down in the chapter to verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. You ought to highlight that in your Bible. A lot of folks looking for signs. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented Uh, at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Verse 42. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Now, you may have noticed I slowed down at three spots. Verse number 6, Jesus said that in this place is one greater than the temple. In verse 41, he said, and uh, behold, a greater than Jonah is here. And then in verse 42, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Now, let's just look briefly at those three statements. Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience. He is in Jerusalem, uh, no doubt within sight of the temple, or perhaps right within it. And, uh, And he is saying to them that their national center for worship, the temple, that word temple itself just means a a sacred place. And uh, that temple had been built so that Israel would have a national center center for worshiping God, the true God, their God. And it meant a lot to them. Uh, That temple site uh, is famous and, uh, and quite significant to the Jews, both historically and religiously. Well, King David planned the first temple. His son, King Solomon, actually built it. And it was a fabulous, fabulous layout. It got destroyed. Another king named Zerubbabel came along and built the second temple. And uh, later, King Herod uh, enlarged it, enhanced it, and it's commonly called uh, Herod's Temple. You say, why do we commonly call it Herod's Temple? Have you ever tried to spell Zerubbabel? <laughs> Now, uh, later it too would be destroyed in 70 A.D., and the only thing remaining of that second temple is what we know now as the famous Wailing Wall. When you go to Jerusalem, you'll find the Jews, uh, the Orthodox Jews in their regalia, 
standing there, rocking back and forth, putting their little prayer request in the cracks of that great wall. And, uh, and others, not just the Orthodox, but others will be there praying at that wall as well uh, day after day. It's a very famous place. That wall is the only thing remaining, at least that we know about. There may be some other things underground, but the only thing that's been excavated is, is that wall. Now, Jesus said to them, This temple, so important to them, and throughout the Old Testament, uh, referred to as the house of God or the house of the Lord. <coughs> and uh, yet Jesus said to them, there is someone here that is greater than the temple. Now, no wonder the Pharisees kind of raised their eyebrows. What's he trying to say to them? The place, dear friends, is not the priority. When I came down 36th Street here this morning, as I've done any number of times, and when I make the turn to come on the parking lot, I can't help but be, uh, I mean, visually, my eyes uh, start registering positive things when I see your church campus. The buildings, they look nice. The, everything's well manicured. I mean, it just looks right. And we're glad for it. We're glad to have it. I mean, it's great. I'm glad we're not having to meet out in the, in the sunshine or rain or whatever's going on this morning. I'm glad for that. We're glad to have the place. We're glad to have comfortable seats. We're glad to have amplification, all of that. But dear friends, uh, the reason that you and I are here this morning is not because of the brick and mortar. The place holds a, holds a place. It has a place. But it is not the priority. The place is only temporary. Those temples were torn down. This building one day will fall. The place is temporary. But listen, the God who is God is eternal. Jesus said to them, they had miscalculated uh, their, their uh, course on this. Misunderstandings had come. They didn't have some things figured out. He said, you wouldn't have made some of the judgments you've made had you had this all figured right. And, uh, and he said to them, you need to remember, the Lord is Lord, Lord of the Sabbath. He's Lord of every day. He is God. And you and I need to understand that he who is here on this site at this time is one who towers, towers above the temple. What we need is not a shrine, but a Savior. Now, the second statement doesn't concern a place, but it concerns a prophet, Jonah. Now, the Pharisees, after some... Uh, Time has lapsed here in the conversation. They said, oh, we'd like to see a sign. And Jesus said, <laughs> I think this is in the Greek somewhere, He said, you're a bunch of dirty birds. An evil and adulterous generation. You're not thinking straight. And the only sign you're going to get is what you're going to get at the preaching of Jonah. And you say, what, what is He saying to them? Well, He's just simply telling them that uh, Jonah, who is now... Uh, after several hundred years, Jonah is now famous. Jonah is now popular and one of the heroes among the Jews. Now, when you go back to the Old Testament, to those four chapters with his name on it, at that point in time, Jonah was not a pop popular Jew. When God called him, a Jew, to go to the Ninevites, they, the, the Jews hated the Ninevites and the Ninevites had earned it. They had been so vicious, so ruthless, so ungodly toward the Jews that every Jew on earth hated every Ninevite on earth. But when God 
call somebody to go to straighten up the Ninevites. He called a Jew to go. And, uh, you know, Jonah went through this whole scenario, running from God. Uh, God prepared the fish. The whale swallowed him up. He spent three days and three nights in the Gastro International Hotel. <laughs> sleeping on blubber beds and you don't want to know what he was eating. But anyway... Jonah kind of got right. And he went to Nineveh. And at the point where that he was out making his way over there, God said, you go tell them 40 days and they're going to be overthrown. And Jonah was glad to hear it because he despised them. And he said, I'm going to go over there and get them told. God will drop the hammer and I'll stand back and watch. And whenever he went over there and preached what God told him to, everybody from the king down to paupers on the street got right. Tens of thousands of them got right. Now, Jonah was the most shocked guy on the planet. He was thinking, I'll have to go back home to Jerusalem and I'll have to tell, I'll have to tell my Jewish friends and family what I've done and they're going to despise me. Well, a few hundred years have passed, all that straightened out. He's a popular figure now among the Jews. But Jesus said to them, not only is there somebody here greater than your sacred place, there is somebody here greater than your hero, the famous prophet Jonah. And then there's one more piece to the Bible. You say, well, why, 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 is, why, why is that true about Jonah? Well, Jonah's just a man. And Jesus is both God and man. Jonah was balky and rebellious. Jesus was, I mean, he volunteered and was willing every step of the way. Jonah went to one city. Jesus came to the whole world. Jonah hated the Ninevites. Jesus loves the world. Jonah was a preacher. Jesus was a preacher and the Savior. Jonah touched 120,000. Jesus has reached millions. So, greater than Jonah? Yes. And then we come to the third one there, greater than Solomon. So the sacred place, somebody greater than that, uh, one of the prophets, greater than that, now then, one of the kings, one of the rulers. And here, King Solomon, famous for his wealth and his wisdom. We have the book of Proverbs because God used him to write all of that wisdom down. In Solomon's later life, however, the story is not a good one. You can read it in 1 Kings chapters 10 and 11. And uh, Solomon, who had everything to his credit, everything in the world going for him, tells the story there. The Queen of Sheba, who was ruler in another land a few hundred miles away. Queen of Sheba made a trip with her entourage. She came to see. She had heard about Solomon. She said, I can't believe everything I've heard. Solomon gave her a tour, showed it all to her. And her report was, the half has not been told. It's far greater than anything that I had heard. Now, Solomon, with all of that, chapter 11. By the way, you know that in American Jewish prudence, chapter 11 is our bankruptcy law. Well, 1 Kings chapter 11 is Solomon's bankruptcy. Women, women, lots of women. Some of them from here, here, there, and yon. They brought their idolatry with them. Solomon allowed them to, to build idolatrous temples. And they, the Bible says, turned Solomon's heart away from God. 
hundreds and hundreds of those women, and they mess things up. Now, I'm in the bracket where people sometimes refer to us as senior citizens. I think any time after 29, you're there. But those of us who are in that senior bracket need to pay attention to what happened to Solomon. We don't, we, we must not, I mean, we must not get to the place where we say, hey, look, I've done all these great things. Now, now then, hey, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do what I want to do, satisfy myself, etc. I'm telling you, that's not the way to end. And Solomon, Solomon messed things up. And, and, and Jesus said, there's somebody here greater than Solomon. Why is that? Well, see, Solomon was a king. But Jesus is king of kings. Solomon had accumulated riches and, I mean, massive amounts of it. But Jesus is the maker of the riches, the gold, the silver, etc. Solomon's great temple was here today and gone tomorrow. While Jesus is building a place, a mansion for all of us who love Him and serve Him and who have been saved by Him, that will be our eternal home in the heavens, an inheritance that fadeth not away. Solomon was an imperfect man. Jesus a perfect one. Solomon suffered from what I sometimes refer to as old man's disease when he fell apart in his senior years. But Jesus continues unabated for all of the eternities yet to come. Solomon invoked the anger of God for his misbehavior. Jesus pleased his father with his behavior every step of the way. Solomon ruled for 40 years. Jesus is going to rule and reign forever and forever. Now, greater than the temple? Yes. Greater than uh, the prophet? Yes. Greater than the ruler? Yes. You say, well, who, who is this greater one? Well, he's the one who at the age of 12 amidst the intellects and scholars of his day, said, I must be about my father's business. He's the one who spoke to a crippled man on a stretcher, said, Arise, take up thy bed and walk, and the guy did walk. He's the one who responded to the man with a withered hand and said, Stretch forth thy hand, and it was made whole immediately. He's the one standing by the graveside of Lazarus, said, Lazarus, come forth, and after four days dead, he did come forth alive. This is the one who opened blind eyes, unstopped deaf ears, raised the dead, fed hungry multitudes, and walked with ease on the stormy waters of a troubled sea. He's the one who turns hatred into love, crime into virtue, darkness into light, drunkenness into sobriety, immorality into morality. You say, well, what do people say about him? What have others said? Well, some of the opinions that are registered are like this. Some said, never a man spake like this man. Others said, we never saw it on this fashion. Someone said, what manner of man is this? Others besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. One said, when asked who, who he was, whom do you say that I am? He said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The, the Father in heaven said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The crowds in Jerusalem said, Hosanna, Hosanna to the highest. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Someone just on the sidelines said, This is Jesus the prophet. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. The centurion said, Truly this man was the Son of God. 
Doubting Thomas said, My Lord and my God. And the folks, the disciples, after the resurrection said, Did not our hearts burn within us as he talked with us in the way? Now, you say, well, uh, that's, that's what others say, but, but uh, you've got the microphone this morning. What, what do you say about him? I'm so glad you asked. And uh, I will tell you right up front what I'm about to tell you, my opinion, what I'm about to tell you, I borrowed from somebody else. And the statement that I'm about to give you when I tell you what I think about him is this. He is wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Isaiah wrote it down hundreds of years ago. And you say, he's wonderful? Oh, he is full of wonder. He is absolutely wonderful in every aspect. Counselor, you say? Absolutely. In every time of trouble, in every time when our hearts are broken, when we have burdens that are about to break us in half, He can be our counselor and do so in an exquisite fashion. Mighty God, yes. Mighty in creation, mighty in redemption, mighty is the coming King. Everlasting Father, yes, He's the one who makes us sons and daughters in the family of God and gives us life that we can never have any other way, a life that is eternal, everlasting, and that transcends death and the grave and that slams shut the door of hell and opens wide the gates of heaven and provides for us a home for eternity. And Prince of Peace, oh, you better believe it, because He is the one who... uh, I mean, he puts the quietus on a lot of this strife and hatred and junk that people have over all of the things that uh, seem to just create hostility everywhere. Who is he? Well, yes. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. The Bible also says he's Salem's bright king, the song of the ages, the lily of the valley, the bright and the morning star, the altogether lovely one. And I'm happy to tell you that this, this morning, because of a Saturday morning in September when I was but a lad of a boy, when somebody came down a little old dirt road in the river bottoms of western Kentucky to the farm where I grew up, because they came talking about Jesus, I got on my knees, literally. Asked the Lord if He would receive me. And He became my Savior on that day. And little by little, I've endeavored to make Him the Lord of my life and the Lord of my being. So I'm happy to tell you that he who is greater than the temple and greater than the prophets and greater than the rulers is my Savior and my Lord. And he wants to be your Savior and your Lord as well. And so having looked briefly at what others have said and telling you what I think about it, I have to ask you what is your opinion. Now, obviously just by being here this morning, you've already registered your opinion somewhat. Your very presence uh, would suggest that you have some favorable view about the Savior. But the question I think needs to be a little more pointed than just that. Because uh, there needs to come a point in time when you, in effect, sign up. And I don't mean sign your name. There needs to come a time when down in the depths of your being, you realize you you can't get to heaven. You're a sinner, you can't pay your sin debt. You're headed to another place that is hot, hellish, and awful. And you need somebody to bail you out. And the only one who can do it 
is the one who's the mighty God. And he wants to do it. He's made all the arrangements. When he died on the cross and arose from the grave, he did that to pay what God the Father would receive as the payment. He did it for me and he did it for you. He'll not force it on me. He'll not force it on you. But I'll tell you this much. Uh, He that comes to him, he will in no wise cast out. He never turns anybody away. No matter what their track record, no matter where they've been, what they've done, no, no matter who they know or don't know, no matter what they have or don't have, he never turns anybody away. So, greater than the temple? Yes. Greater than the prophet? Yes. Greater than the ruler? Yes. You say, how is he greater? He's greater in his eternality. Had no beginning. Always in the, in the uh, eons of eternity past. He, he'll have no ending. Always in the eons of eternity future. He's great in his preeminence. He, he's, he's high. He's above everything. He's greater than any man. Greater than every man. Great, greater than all of creation. Because he is the one who made it. He's greater in his omnipotence. There, there's nothing he cannot do. He's greater in his omniscience. He knows everything. He doesn't need the internet. He doesn't need the encyclopedias. He doesn't need a vast library. He knows everything. He's greater in his incarnation. No man ever born like he was born. Virgin born. Greater in his omnipresence. Uh, flee to the mountain. Hide in the valley. Do what you try to do. You'll find that he's present already there. Greater in his perfection. No flaws. No imperfections, no fouling things up, no, no sin at all. Greater in his resurrection, because after the three days and three nights, he arose triumphantly out of the grave, alive, and on with uh, his life. Greater in his redemption, because he does what no other can do. Religion reforms. Um, programs that people invent rehabilitate. But the Lord Jesus redeems and regenerates. He gives a whole new life. He lets you wipe the slate clean and start all over again. Greater in redemption and greater in his provisions that he makes for us along the way. Every once in a while somebody will say to me, they'll say, well, how are you? And I don't say it every time, but often I say to them, I'm so blessed. You say blessed? Yes, blessed because of him. Every, every single day, blessings that come to me because of my relationship to Him. So greater, greater, greater. Greater than the temple, greater than the preachers, greater than the rulers, greater than all of that. And because He is greater, I commend Him to you today. If you're here, you haven't settled this thing, there'll be folks here at the head of the aisle with their Bibles ready to help you momentarily. They'll give you the instructions that you need to make that choice and make that decision and get it settled right. There may be some of you sitting here. uh, You're living here in the Ocala area. You need to be in a good church. This is a good place. They have a good pastor. You're not seeing him today, but but if you've been here before, you know him. And uh, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't signed up, if you haven't joined, if you haven't made this your church home, why not do it? Why not today? And folks, these altars are open to all of us every single day.